All right, everyone, and welcome to the next segment of our episode. Um, we've been talking about cybersecurity this episode, obviously, and we wanted to bring in uh, an excellent resource to talk to us about cybersecurity, someone who lives it and breathes it every single day. Um, so we have Kathy Pitt from Plex, who is the chief security officer. And for Plex, she manages the company's enterprise-wide information security, privacy, compliance, and risk management programs. Through her leadership, Plex customers are ensured the information owned, controlled, or processed by Plex remains confidential and secure. Kathy's a tenured security expert and has held leadership roles at companies such as Cisco and HP, as well as global learning company Pearson. She attended Colorado Technical University, where she earned an MBA, Master of Computer Science Information Security, as well as a Master of Administration Criminal Justice, and a Bachelor of Science in Managing Information Systems. She holds multiple cloud and security certifications and has served as an adjunct professor as well as co-authoring the book, Essential Information Security. So we wanna welcome Kathy and really, really excited for this conversation today. So welcome. Well, Greg, thanks for having me here. I really appreciate it. And any, any chance to talk about security, I'm all in. So I'm looking forward to it. You know, in this day and age, um, with just this world as crazy as, as it is, um, you know, cybersecurity is one of those things that it sits out there and we know about it. And even though it's brewing and it's and there are crazy things going on, we sometimes forget about it, about how much this impacts us. So, you know, on our side, we wanted to do this episode because there is so much changing in our world. And cybersecurity is one of those things that you have to put at the forefront of your thoughts, whether it's personal or business. Um, so we wanted to have a, a brief chat kind of about the evolution, a little bit about cybersecurity. We know where we are today, but, you know, what kind of things did we worry about before? What has changed in the last, you know, 10 years, certainly a lot, but even in the last five or one year, what do you think overall from, from the kind of the grand scheme of things, what are we shifted from in terms of our focus on cybersecurity? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, back in the day, the big thing really was worms and viruses. Um, they usually came in the form of an email to an untrained, unsuspecting employee because we didn't have a lot of training back then. We didn't train people to look for these sure. things. And uh, you think about things like the I love you virus. That was one of the early ones. That infected oh, yeah. 50 million Windows systems, 15 million people open that email. I remember a guy in our office, said, yeah, I just got an email. It says, I love you. I opened it. Nothing happened. You know, it's like, that's how it happened. And th they said that the result of that was over $10 billion in damages. And we didn't have a lot in the way of virus scanners back then. We didn't have, obviously, the security training. And so that was, that was really one of the things, once it started to happen more, we started to really think about um, certainly, insider threats were big, DDoS attacks, um, well, DOS attacks that became evolved into uh, distributed denial of service attacks were big. And, and one of the big uh, bad actors, if you will, back then was, were script kiddies. That was the, the guys who were just new to computer gaming and, and uh, decided that hacking and hacking websites was a fun thing to do. And so they'd, they'd hack into... Uh, I remember one specific thing at the Girl Scouts of America, their website, and they replaced the main page with a picture of a, a squirrel drinking from a beer can through a straw. That was that was the big deal back then. <laughs> right. You know, um, and, and certainly physical breaches were a big deal because we used to print everything. We didn't protect it. 
Uh, dumpster diving was a real thing. It, it still is, but it was a big thing back then because it was one of the few ways you could actually steal valuable data. Uh, I remember, in fact, uh, CVS Pharmacy, they got fined $2.5 million and had to set up this extensive security training program for their employees uh, because it was discovered through dumpster diving that their employees were throwing away prescriptions and pill bottles and uh, computer printouts and employee records and all kinds of things into a dumpster out there for anyone to see at, at least that were discovered. And so physical security was big. And then, you know, one of the big challenges, and it, it's still a challenge today, is that uh, to some degree, everybody had to manage and run their own infrastructure and their own security programs. They had, you had your own data center, no matter what your industry was, no matter what you focused on as a company, you, you ran your own data center. That's what you did. Um, so you had to go out and, and try to find strong security people in a market that didn't have a lot of security people yet. Security as a profession was still very young. We often relied on our IT folks. It's like, sure. hey, you, you know, you're the firewall guy. So now you're the chief security officer. You're the security person. And so it was very challenging uh, for people to be able to manage securely their own their own program, and yeah. by the way, the security shortages in talent is still it's still out there, it's still going on. Um, but now, luckily, we have more opportunities to pull pull those scarce resources in the form of like a cloud service providers. Right, and I think that's you know you pointed out one of the things that has changed is um, maybe the actors have changed a little bit. So before we had a lot of people who um, were doing malicious things. You you know, you talked about script kitties and there were always things going on where somebody would, you know, deface a website, they would change the front page or they would, you know, introduce a virus that would basically, you know, corrupt systems and, and those kinds of things. I feel like maybe things have changed a little bit. What would you say the actors are today and what are they motivated by? Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of change. Obviously the actors are much, much more sophisticated. They're political, they're financially incentivized to do damage, to take sensitive data. Um, they're state sponsored in a lot of cases. Um, in a lot of cases they're looking for government defense related information. And so that's a, that's a far cry from the skip critties and their beer drinking squirrels back in the day. Sure. Yeah. Um, they, in, in a lot of cases they want to inject themselves into the political system. They're, they're looking for R and D they're looking for ways to make financial gain, intellectual property. Um, and the attacks now are far less opportunistic. You don't just, you know, look for something, somebody has an open port and, ooh, let's attack them. Now it's very, very surgically uh, surgically done attacks on very specific targets. Um, and of course we have hacktivists, we have re uh, religious zealots who look to want to inflict emotional damage or instill fear in a population. But still today money is the biggest motivator. Um, you know, in a lot of cases it's it's, it's money to serve a you know a, a bad purpose, an, a, an evil purpose, if you will, uh, but it's still money, and so that's that's really where the where the change has occurred probably over the last ten years, I think, and really that, what what kind of bad actors we're dealing with.
so for you know we're looking as a person you know obviously when we look on look under the lens of um, security for a business and what you're trying to protect and who the actors are we can look under that lens and i agree absolutely that there are many actors that are motivated you know it's not just a random person initiating attack these are large groups that are very sophisticated that have um, the information and intelligence and have everything they need to carry out an attack um, and, and typically they are not going after your average joe so to speak but right. in terms of you know the average person today who what threats do they have on their plate that would materialize into something that would you know cause significant damage to them in their personal life oh yeah absolutely you know you're talking about the average consumer who probably now is working from home because of covid probably have their kids working from home as well all on the same uh, intranet running in their house on the same probably insecure router um you know identity theft is huge is when when someone's identity is stolen it can take them years and years and tens of thousands of dollars to try to recover their good name their credit score so they can go out and get a car Um, i've heard cases where people have lost everything Um, My daughter works specifically in elder abuse, financial crimes against the elderly. The elderly are a huge target right now because they're not computer savvy. They're not appropriately trained on what's suspicious and what a phishing email is. And and very often they lose everything they have, everything they have in the world, which is, uh, you know, it's really sinister when you think about it. And and a lot of cases, you know, sometimes this is done because someone just wants some money. But sometimes this is also done on a very large, larger scale because that money is, again, going to something more nefarious, something bigger than just somebody who wants to go out and, and buy things online. In some cases, it, it's more co- uh, well-concerted uh, effort, and it really is to gather large sums of money. Yeah, I, I think in general, whenever we look at this, what, what has shifted for us as we look is that... Um, a lot of this motivation, there, there could be different types of motivation, but these days, as we look at the types of attacks that even um, internal to create a foam, as we look at where these are coming from and what they're motivated by, it has always boiled down to dollars um, at the end of the day. If, if someone sees a target that has you know, a reasonable amount of money and, and there is um, a significant vulnerability or weakness that they can exploit and, it, and it's relatively simple, that's a it's a prime opportunity, and and we've mm-hmm. seen that for our users as we transition to the cloud and go more and more, and we expose ourselves more and more to having that out there. That that opens up new avenues. So, yep. uh, I I do want to get onto, um, you know, we talked about some of the threats and what people are facing, and I'd like to talk about maybe some tips. But before we go there, what do you think today as far as the cloud goes? Because in our first episode, we talked about the cloud and what it is, and and try to boil it down as this is something very simple. When we talk about the cloud, we're, we're using it every single mm-hmm. day. Um, yep. And so the less technically savvy people finally might see that, oh, this is not something big and difficult to understand. It's very simple. But what would you say are the top threats for cloud, pe- you know, cloud utilization, the things we do in our daily life? What are the biggest threats out there? Well, if you're talking about the average person and, and what we as consumers have to worry about, obviously, is going to a bad site that we trust um, and inputting our own our, our financial information or, or password information, social security, et cetera. So giving away private information um, because we're not 
paying as close attention as we should. We're not as uh, wary as we should be right now. And we just tend to trust if it's if it's online and it's got that little locking thing on it, then it's OK. And I can go ahead and tell them anything that they ask me. Um, and so that's that's a big risk. And then people oversharing on social media, obviously, they, thinking that whatever they say is amongst a group, a tight group, when it often is not. Um, and just, I think, in that vein, trusting people who really shouldn't be trusted because they're expert at manipulation. So that's from a consumer perspective. Mm -hmm. I think from a, a company perspective, one of the things I've, I've seen is that, first of all, managed service providers are really being targeted because they're seen as a one-stop shop for multiple customers' data. And so rather than, than try to attack a, a point customer, why not get a managed service provider and get 100 customers worth of data? And so that's kind of up the, the need for managed service providers to really uh, you know, up their game and, and be better at security. But a lot of the um, statistics right now are pointing to infrastructure as a service and platform as a service where the customer has more control and more responsibility around managing their own technology, their processes and people, managing security in the environment. And, and so the, the risks are the same as they were before where um, they, they still are at risk of misconfiguring something or giving up too much access or not appropriately training the people who are managing um, their footprint in, the, in this cloud. Um, and then insider threats continues to be a you know, potential a problem here. Um, and so when you look at it, when a company chooses to manage their own technology, even in a public cloud environment, they still need to find that top IT and security talent. They still need to implement this, their uh, uh, same uh, security controls as if it was in their own data center. They still have to worry about compliance. You know, am I doing the right things to be, uh, you know, ISO compliant, ISO certified, uh, GDPR compliant, and so on. Um, the, the one exception to that tends to be physical security because uh, even for IAAS and PAAS, you get to take advantage of the cloud provider's physical security protections. Um, which is important. So, yeah, I, I think you and and you're segueing perfectly with what we had before because in our last episode we talked about the differences between IAAS, PAAS, mm -hmm. SAAS, and kind of why they all exist and how uh, they're they're all important. They all serve their own purpose. But it, as it goes with security, no matter what you select, just because it's going to the cloud doesn't mean you're absolved of having any mm -hmm. kind of responsibility. And in, in many cases, even though you are moving to a cloud and there are certain things you can forego, it actually puts the emphasis on certain aspects of security even higher, data retention, um, how access is provided and how access is revoked and all of those things yep. come into play. They're even more important because you physically do not have access to the systems that house the data. So you have yep. to have trust and you have to select a vendor who you can really believe is going to do what is right for your company's data. Yeah, yeah, no, and that you're, you're right on with that. I think you mentioned uh, software as a service or SaaS, that environment. Um, one of the advantages of that is when you select a trusted vendor, then you have someone at that point who will share some of that risk with you and, and be able to implement strong 
controls and ensure that you're compliant where you need to be compliant. Um, and that, that the, the SaaS provider, you know, goes out and invests in the best technologies, the best processes, the best people, because they can spread that out over multiple customers and take that burden off, off of the individual customers. Um, and so you look at things like, like you mentioned, access control. When you're in a SaaS environment, then the SaaS provider will will ensure that access is very, very tightly, rigidly controlled. So you have less concerns there, and you can really you can really focus your risk acceptance on those things that are that are closely tied to your business. Like how many of these can we sell, or or should we, you know, acquire this other company instead of taking a risk in? Do we have to invest in more technology? Do we have to upgrade our systems because they're outdated, they're vulnerable? Do we have to go out and find security people with this specific area of expertise? We don't necessarily have the funding right now, especially with COVID and, and the downturn. And so it takes a lot of that concern and worry off the plate of the company and, and puts it on the, the provider. But you're, you're exactly right. People, since the inception of the cloud, people have always said, oh, well, we don't have to worry about it. We'll just push it off on the cloud provider and it's wash our hands of it. And they assume all the risk. And as you mentioned, that's that's absolutely not the case. Risk is always going to be a shared thing. It just comes down to how much is your share and how much is your vendor share. Right, absolutely. And, I, and you brought up um, SaaS in particular, and we'll talk about Plex um, because to me, this has been one of the saving graces of kind of our setup that we had even before COVID really hit and we were impacted by it to the level we are today is that Creative Foam was already a, a customer of Plex. We already were utilizing the platform and um, rolling that out to additional companies as we bring them in. And for me, as the, as the person responsible overall for technology, it was probably just the biggest best breath of fresh air I could take when we first had to realize, you know what, we can't be in the office. People are going to have to work yeah. from home. And I immediately could say, well, I don't have to rely on somebody going into the office to take care of a server. I don't have to rely on how do we get connectivity through the VPN and are people going to have that automatically on and what about their network, et cetera, et cetera. We just said, look, as far as control goes, it's very simple. You can allow specific individuals to log into Plex or not. You could leave it wide open, but at the end of the day, we had simple access and a simple solution already in place. And that was one of the best things is that that gave us the opportunity to focus on how are we going to support the business during the pandemic, not are we going to even be able to run the business? And so this was, it, it, we were very well positioned for what, what eventually took place. And we still are, you know, able to look at the true, as you mentioned, how to do the business, how to how to perform better within the business as opposed to the mechanics of the business and turning our attention away from that kind of stuff. I wanted to give you a chance to maybe talk a little bit about Plex, um, the security model within it which has enabled it to be an industry leading architecture for the companies that utilize that. Oh. Yeah, so it's kind of, I mean, it's great to hear that uh, that Plex allowed you to continue to be successful when, I mean, we saw, we, we, we've read, we've heard about companies who basically 
cease to exist or at the at the uh, least cease to be able to stay up with their commitments and manufacturing commitments because they couldn't have people doing what they needed to do and they they weren't able to just continue to produce as they had prior to the pandemic. And so I have heard from a lot of our customers that, you know what, we didn't miss a beat. We were able to continue moving on. And um, one of the good things with Plex, you know, I'll tell you, I've been here just, I think, two weeks over a year now. Um, and I, I came from big companies. You mentioned HP and, and Cisco, very large companies. And right. when I came to Plex, you know, I was thinking, okay, this company, they're smaller. They're going to need a lot of work. And I'll, you know, I'll, you know, I'll come in. I'll expect to see this and that. And I'll, I'll tell you, I was so impressed with what they already had in place, what how mature the security program was, how much it they they put into the program, how much they invested in the program over the years. And we continue to do that. We continue to invest and mature and develop people and and go after best in class products and processes. Um, we're pursuing services like the ISO 27001 and CMMC, which we're anxiously awaiting. Um, and we, you know, we do those kind of things so that our customers like you can sleep at night. That's exactly why security is so important to us. And, you know, you talk about some of the things we've done over the last couple of years uh, and, and things that, you know, we started really driving uh, over the last year is I'm, I'm a huge proponent of shifting left. And, of course, shifting left means you everything security wise you think about it at the very beginning of the development the design of a of a product and so to that we you know we developed a set of very very robust non-functional requirements things that must be built in to any new application or product that we launch that really elevates the level of security and compliance within that uh, and so that's one of the big things that we've been we've been really driving this year um, we're, you know, aggregating logging data so we have greater visibility and event correlation across platforms. Um, one of the first things I did when I joined Plex is I went out and found uh, a forensic uh, analyst, an expert in the field, just to just to kind of actively keep an eye on things. I also think that the more eyes you have on something on your log files, on your uh, infrastructure, on everything, the more likely you are to see any anomalies or anything that you want to address before it turns into something. And so forensics, uh, expertise and capabilities in that space, we've grown. Um, monitoring tools, we've gone out and, and invested in a significant tool suite that I'm, I'm thrilled to death with that expands our ability to monitor, alert, um, log, and, and just kind of keep an eye on what's going on. Um, and then one of the other things that I invested in too, you talk about vendors and you mentioned trust in vendors. Well, I, I'm a customer to many vendors as well. And so I, much like you, it's very, very important to me that I have faith in those vendors and I, I can drive their security and I can I can make demands of them as as I expect you and, and the rest of our customers to make demands of us and in, in how we implement and enforce security. And so I went out and bought a, reputa a reputation management tool, a, a vendor management tool, if you will, uh, called Security Scorecard. There's many of them out there, but it allows me to monitor our vendors and what their, you know, any new vulnerabilities that may pop up. And it's also another set of eyes on the Plex environment that something on the on the internet side of Plex. Anything that, the, that this tool discovers is, is reported to us, 
uh, on the bright side, we're seeing that whatever that tool reports, we're also seeing ourselves with our own tools. Um, and it allows us to immediately go in and come up with a remediation plan for those vulnerabilities. And so continuous, constant set of eyes with a, a pretty robust set of different types of tools really has matured the program um, as we've moved forward through this last year. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. That's a lot of a lot of what you're saying are things that um, we have been either implementing or, or at least starting the process because uh, to your point, you know, the more that you're able to proactively go out and find on your own and mm-hmm. um, get information on, you're going to be better suited than just waiting for something to happen because the reality is it's not if a security incident will take place. It's just a matter of when and how prepared are you for when that happens. So um, we, we try to in- internally boost our monitoring to the point where we have eyes and ears and we're pulling so much data and and then we craft it to kind of tailor it and say, okay, maybe we don't need to have a human eye on everything. But to your point, looking for anomalies, look for the things that stick out like a sore thumb or things that we can track over a period of time and say, well, you know, this is not normal behavior or unusual things that are repetitive. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a different way of looking at it. I think in the old days, we used to look at security and say, I installed a firewall, I've got antivirus, and I'm, I'm Good ready. Good to go. I'm yeah. good to go. But <laughs> these days, because you're all all you're always at least, you know, one to five steps behind a bad actor, if not more, you yeah. have to be ready to say, I'm armed with as much information as possible. So when I start to detect something, I can get on it quicker. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're exactly right. And you know, everything we've been talking about is it's a huge investment. None of these it it always is mind-boggling to me the cost of some of these tools, especially the best in class tools. And, you know, it's very difficult, especially for smaller, mid-sized companies to go out and make that kind of investment. I mean, a firewall is not cheaper because you're a small company. It's the same price for that company as it is for the bigger companies, the biggest companies out there. And But you need the same types of protections to protect your data. And so that's that's one of the things, you know, we talked about SaaS. That's one of the things that SaaS, the software as a service cloud provider brings to the table is... You don't have to make that large scale investment because we have the the cloud provider has in this case plex has Um, and we've as i mentioned we continue to look for what do we need to do next what's the next big compliance requirement coming down the road like the the california privacy laws Mm -hmm. uh, are, are hitting people big and what does that do to smaller companies who say wow this is another set of laws rules i have to worry about now um in a lot of cases uh, that's something that you know Plex can can help to to drive for you and help to you know we've invested in making sure that we're aligned with those compliance requirements. Again, taking some of that burden off of the customer's uh, concern list, their, their to-do list. So. I think another thing we kind of we didn't even go deep into is the fact that. Uh, I had the chance to go visit um, the data center in Auburn Hills, and I was blown away. I mean, I expected you know sophisticated <laughs> yeah. uh, physical security and things like that, but 
the level of complexity, the level of security, I was just blown away. I mean, it was unbelievable. There's that, you know, room before you enter in where it has all the monitoring going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, I mean, Fort Knox is like not putting it mildly. That was, it was very (laughs) impressive. It was amazing. And there, that is something that most companies, I mean, for us, we're a manufacturing company. We are not a you know, a provider of technology solutions, we can't do the kinds of things that Plex can do. And, and so when you invest in something like Plex, you're getting the benefit of that kind of security setup. Yeah, it's funny you say that, Tarek. I'll tell you, (laughs) my first trip through that data center too. Again, coming, I had this big company mentality. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this is they're going to have, they're not going to do this, they're not going to have this. And the first time, uh, Lauren walked me through the data center. I, you hit it. I was blown away. I couldn't, I couldn't find anything. And I started thinking, well, I, I'm serving no purpose here because I can't, <laughs> I can't fix anything. There, I, I was great. It, it's extremely impressive. Uh, and I, I honestly, at the time, and I still do. I felt like, well, they, they left no stone unturned here with the, the layers of security that they've put into the data centers. And, you know, as, I, as I've been here over the last year, you can start to see that it, it was very well constructed, very well conceived, very much based on foundational security controls. And, you know, we tend to lose track of those fundamental foundational security controls because we get so wrapped up in a technology, the hot new technology that will do X, Y, and Z, that we sometimes spend too much time and focus on uh, uh, and trust on those and losing track of those very foundational controls like access management and and the different levels that you have to protect access and that's as i said kind of like you i was i was blown away that i couldn't find deficiencies in in the setup and i was i was very impressed I was I was humbled actually to be honest with you yeah i mean as a customer going in there i felt you know, it's one of those things where you you pay for what you get. And even though I I, I never, I, I had an expectation going that it would be good. And, you know, you guys are, this is what you do. You're a cloud provider, you have SaaS. So this is what you're expecting. But the, the degree of security that was present at every single level was beyond my expectations. So it was fantastic. Um, and to your point about the, the baseline things, it's very true. Uh, we've talked about earlier in the episode, Kevin Mitnick, and who, you know, a a lot of his attacks, if you go down to it and you listen to him speak, it is not about abusing some sort of um, very sophisticated program. I mean, though he he did do that occasionally, the majority of his attacks were things like you mentioned, you know, dumpster diving or, you know, talking to social engineering, talking to someone and just getting simple information. Um, Sometimes that is not even, I mean, it's not only is it easier than complex digital attacks, but what you get far outweighs it. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of interesting that you brought it up. I, I was, uh, I've read Kevin's books and uh, met him at a DEF CON one year, in fact. Uh, one, it's actually kind of sad that a, a felon uh, social engineer becomes a rock star, but you know, right. at, at DEF CON at a hacker conference, he's a rock star and uh, people were lined up to get his autograph. But I can tell you, you know, I have so many stories um, about as a consultant, social engineering, uh, it's honestly, it's the most fun you could have without having to go to jail, I think. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I was able on several occasions, one in particular to 
talked my way past a guard into a very tightly controlled uh, area where HR sat. And it was very tightly controlled because they'd recently been breached. Um, and through social engineering, honestly, I was able to walk out with a, 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 my, one of my peers, one of my coworkers, able to walk out with three boxes of employee records that I took out of a filing cabinet with four people watching me. Wow. And they, they didn't challenge me because, well, she must be here doing something. And so, okay, you know, and not a single person challenged me. Um, in another case, I was able to talk my way. <laughs> I identified myself as Julia Roberts. Not making <laughs> that up. Not making it up. Talked my way past a armed security guard into a data center, log in and send messages to the company that hired me saying, hey, I'm, I'm taking everything you have. I took pictures. Uh, we went out actually and bought a printer that night so we could print out pictures that I that I threw on the CISO's desk the next morning and said, this is me putting you out of business. And wow. it it really comes down to, you know, we, we know what social engineering is. It's it's garnering trust in someone and acting like you should be there, asking exactly the right questions and saying just the right things and people not challenging you. And in a lot of cases, what I've found is that people don't challenge you because they've not been trained to challenge you or to ask questions and it's embarrassing and people don't like to do it. But that's that's part of that training that you have to invest in. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That is, uh, to me, the awareness. It's two things. It's the awareness of knowing what to look for. What is What does it mean to spot something suspicious? And then it's the, the second thing is actually reporting it and doing something about it. Once you realize that something is suspicious or out of place or doesn't seem right, you have to take action. You can't just say, well, that was strange. I don't know what to do. And you're absolutely right. It all comes down to training those users. We ran an experiment where uh, we, I, I, it was me that did it. I I came up to a door. We have our doors that have badge access. So in order Mm -hmm. to get in, you have to scan. Um, I came up with holding a stack of boxes. I waited for somebody to come to the door, <laughs> ran up to the door with the boxes and said, oh, I need to drop these off. Any way you can hold the door open for me. Yeah. And the person kind of <laughs> shrugged and then scanned it open, opened the door. I got in, yep. got into someone's office that was unattended, uh-huh. was able to print out some items, open up their drawer, pull some files out and same exact thing. I, I gave it to, um, to the uh, department and said, look guys, this was, I get it that you know, we can't stop everything, but this is basic stuff that people have to feel like they can do the right thing. If you see something, you have to say something. Uh, you know, absolutely. And you know, training training is an ongoing thing. Security awareness training it's not a it's not a once a year to check a box and it's done. It's got to be ongoing. And that's one of the other things um, this past year we've really focused on is is building security into the Plex DNA. As as corny as that sounds, so that. When someone gets a suspicious email, they immediately reach out to people. And what one of the other things we've recently put into place is this big, fat, beautiful red SOS button that's being deployed to everybody's laptop that if they have any kind of suspicion whatsoever, is this, this email seems a little bit hinky to me, or there's a guy walking around and I'm not sure who he is. They can hit that button, answer a couple of questions. It will get to the right group and will take immediate action. To your point, employees have to know about it, they have to feel empowered, and they, they have to be, you know, they have to make sure no one's gonna say, 
what you're you're crazy this is just a person walking around the building it's the cleaning guy you know you really have to uh, appreciate the employee going to that extra step and and taking the risk of reaching out and saying you know this feels weird to me mm-hmm. and really really driving that behavior and and i've seen uh, you know, when there's anything going on that's, you know, some strange email that, that people may be getting, we're getting a lot of people reporting it. And and that's one of my uh, my key risk indicators or, or uh, um, key indicators of success, really, is how many people are reporting these things during a, a phishing test or or during a, an actual phish email that's hitting the systems. Yeah, I we do the same thing. And, and I, I showed the chart where on our graphs, I can show, well, look, here is our uh, our influx of help desk tickets or security yep. alerts. And they go, well, that's really bad. Is it? I said, actually, this is great. That means yep. that people are doing <laughs> something. They're taking action. They're alerting us. And you know what? I don't care if you inundate the team with a thousand emails exactly. a day saying we've got a problem. I would rather have that than the one time where somebody doesn't do it and we get you know hit with a scam. Exactly. So, yep. No, you're right on. Yeah, and it's and and I guess to the point too is that that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort to continually train people to do those phishing exercises to track it and everything. A lot of work has to go into that, um, and I think that's still, you know, Plex Plex can't train your employees for you. And so whether you go to a cloud provider or you decide to run data, you know, data centers, you've got to invest in that ongoing training and make sure your employees know what to do and they feel empowered. And compelled to do the right thing, and uh, you know, I've always what I've always driven out there is every employee of the company is part of my security team because um, I can't do it without them. I need every set of eyes on everything we do all the time, so that they see something weird going on, they're going to let me know. It's it's kind of like the neighborhood watch um, is keeping your neighborhood uh, safe and secure, and that's really what strong security, uh, the the strong security culture will do for your company. Absolutely. It, it starts from the top down and every yep. single person is a part of that link. And if that link is weak anywhere, then, you know, it's as it's good as done. So I'll yep. Yep. agree a thousand percent. Well, Kathy, I really want to thank you for taking a moment to jump on the podcast with us. This has been really awesome information to get your perspective someone who like i said lives and breathes this every single day this is your focus um, to get your perspective and some tips and let our our audience know a little bit more about plex which to me is a phenomenal tool and has been our saving grace during this pandemic so i want to thank you for uh being on the show yeah thank you so much for uh the invitation you can probably tell i i could talk for hours and hours on on this topic and uh It's exciting and it's important to everybody. So thank you so much for the opportunity. All right. Thank you, Kathy. All right. Take care.